Hi and welcome to episode 38 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. I hope you're all doing well this week. If this is the first Page One Podcast you're tuning into, at the Page One Podcast we like to speak to writers of all kinds, comic book writers, authors, screenwriters, video game writers, about their writing process, how they broke into their industry and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. And we've got a great guest this week for you. We do indeed. We have Adam Christopher today, who is a prolific author, uh, over 20 books. I think so, uh, yeah. His, his list here, and a lot of them tie-in novels, uh, Star Wars, um, Elementary, lots of TV shows um, and film, video game tie-ins. And video game tie-ins, which I yeah, thought yeah. is quite interesting that they're even doing that now. Um, I know, it seems to be, it's obviously a growing market mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's interesting because he's a, he's a really nice guy and he... The big thing that, he, that 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 exists for him in his world of writing is the deadline, mm-hmm. and I've, I mean, I was very surprised to hear the tight times he has to write an entire book from scratch. And yeah, I mean, crazy. especially that first franchise tie-in novel, uh, mm-hmm. Elementary. He had to write a, as we'll hear, he had to write a twenty thousand word synopsis over a weekend or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. But also, I thought it was really interesting. He tells us how he picks up this work. You know, it, it's. As we've heard from our previous guests, there's an element of, you know, you have to put in the hard graft. There's an element of luck, but there's also an element of making your own luck and taking advantage of any opportunities that come along to get these opportunities to to work on things like franchise tie-ins. But he's also written a lot of original novels as well, we should say. So he talks about the differences in writing between both of those. So it's a really interesting podcast um, and an I hope you enjoy it. After the podcast, we'll be back with a bit more chat. Uh, and Not just chat, though. No, we've got an exciting new thing to tell you all about. And we'll also tell you about next week's guest, which is also exciting. Um, and we'll just play a quick advert for our writer's notebook. And then after that, we'll get straight into the podcast and we'll be back at the end. See you then. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. 
and then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. So did you always want to be a writer? Is that always the goal? Yeah. um, I've always written. um, I think I'm quite lucky because... And I don't know if this is unusual. Um, you know, obviously I grew up in New Zealand. I'm from New Zealand. And from primary school, we had writing. They called it process writing. And this is from about the age of, uh, six to ten. Like it was part of a, I think it was probably weekly. It was part of the school day to actually right. write in a kind of journal. Like write, you know, fiction. And they called it process writing because, um, you know, the teacher would edit it and you'd do revisions and mm. then uh, the teacher would kind of pick the best stories of that month and they'd be published. Oh, wow. And they're published, meaning you could write it out on nice paper with pen instead of pencil oh, wow. and it goes up on the wall. Now, this is 1984 <laughs> to 1988. And I don't know if that's just what happened in New Zealand schools or whether it happened in primary school, you know, or whether it happened in other schools. But whatever the case, I'm lucky because that really kind of instilled this love of writing. Mm-hmm. And I've, yeah, I've still got some of the journals actually from those school days, which is this kind of weird mix of like Doctor Who fan fiction, <laughs> pretty much what I was watching on TV at the time, which was John Pertwee stories. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, so like I grew up, with writing, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, another thing I think I'm sort of lucky in that because I was a Doctor Who fan, you know, growing up, and again, it's the 80s and it's New Zealand, so we're watching John Pertwee on TV, so it's like 10 years out of date, mm-hmm. and of course, Doctor Who, the classic series, has got a very kind of literate, sort of literate fandom, uh, and it's kind of, you know, almost the era is defined by target Doctor Who novelizations, mm-hmm. um, which is all I read. Like, say, so from the same period at primary school, I read nothing else but Doctor Who books, <laughs> much to my parents, you know, disgust. I'm sure. <laughs> in fact, I can remember they tried to, you know, give me Christmas or birthday, all I'd want is a big stack of Doctor Who books. And they would try to, like, introduce me to other stuff, or maybe they'd take me to a bookstore and say I could select anything I wanted, so long as it wasn't a Doctor Who book. Um, <laughs> But they gave up in the end, and I just had lots of Doctor Who books. But again, it's this thing of like I was reading an awful lot of. I mean, kids should read and do read, but I was reading an awful lot of Doctor Who, like obsessively, mm-hmm. and it just kind of, you know, watching that on TV, reading the Doctor Who books, and then writing at school, kind of all meshed together to kind of create. Sounds a bit pompous. Create me as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of like it's been always this thing in my life. I like the idea of being told to, you know, every day in school, sit down and spend the next half hour, hour actually trying to write something, because that must also instill that element that which I think a lot of writers struggle with now, which is forcing yourself to write, you know, and just yeah. when, even when you're not in the mood for it, being like, I'm, I've got an hour right now, I'm going to, I'm going to try and do some, do some writing, even if I don't, I'm not in the mood for it right now, I'll just push through it. And that's quite an important skill to get. 
It is. And it's a really good, looking back on it, because I was looking at one of these old journals that I've got, like, um, you know, being, what, six years old to kind of 10 years old, it's not like I had any kind of planning or, mm-hmm. or outlining or anything, because it really was, okay, now it's process writing. And it's not only writing for a sustained half hour or however it was, but like coming up with an idea yeah. and actually like, okay, you've got half an hour, you have to write something. And, you know, the entire class is doing it and the teacher's kind of waiting. So, um, and again, although it's a lot of Doctor Who stuff in those old journals, there's like ghost stories and kind of adventure stories. It's basically, yeah, it's like a, it's like training for that kind of discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, of getting an idea and then actually just writing it. It's, it's yet another example of why New Zealand seems to be the best country in the world <laughs> at the moment. Well, you know, yeah, what can I say? <laughs> um, so, so uh, w- with that as your grounding, when when did you sort of get serious about writing? You know, when did you start to say, right, this is what I'm going to do? Um. I kind of, well, I kind of continued in high school and I remember in high school I had stuff appear in like the yearbook and it would often appear without them telling me, it would just like, you know, you'd write a story for English. Uh, and then I went to university and it kind of dropped away, but it was always kind of gnawing at me that I needed to be doing something. Um, and it was kind of, I moved to the UK in 2006 and I remember right at that same time, so I'd left university by then. Right at the same time, there was a UK publisher that had opened, like they had open submissions, you know, so you didn't need an agent or you didn't need to be published or anything. So you could, you could send them a proposal. Um, so right in the middle of this moving across the world, I wrote up a kind of proposal and sent it to them. And of course, I was convinced that it was brilliant and that they would instantly buy it. And, you know, I'd arrive and I'd have, you know, I'd get to write a book and it'd just be the start of everything. And, you know, dead easy. Um, and of course, it was, I don't know, a few months later, it was rejected because, you know, it was terrible. <laughs> um, I really, this is the thing, I had not written anything of any length for years, mm. but I thought of myself as a writer, I mean, you know, I'm a writer, without actually doing any writing, which is probably not an uncommon thing for some people to kind of yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting because that was like, it was a good experience in a way because that was the turning point. It was like, oh, okay, if I'm going to be a published writer, if I'm going to do writing as my, make a living out of writing, you know, because I love doing it, I actually have to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. So I actually have to sit down and do the work and keep working at it until something happens. Um, because as a writing, as a kind of, not just as a kind of it's a job that pays the bills, but like it's a skill that you have to you know, work on. Mm-hmm. You know, like anything, anything creative. Like you can't just go in unless you're some kind of genius. Yeah. Um, so you have to work on it. So it's like, okay, fine. I actually, it was interesting. It's like a, like a little switch in my brain kind of went. It was like, oh, okay, right. Yes, let's take it seriously. So that experience, even though it was kind of just looking back on it, quite a hilarious sort of expectation that I had, um, was it. So from then, um, let's see, that's like 2006. So yeah, I, I just started writing and I knew I had to write, you know, could I even write a novel length piece of fiction? Mm-hmm. I've written short stories and all kinds of stuff. And mm-hmm. also actually I should say, you know, while I was at university and so high school, 
you know, I still wrote a lot of Doctor Who fan fiction, um, which was sort of published in, you know, the New Zealand Doctor Who fan club fanzine. So I was still writing little bits and pieces, but like novel length fiction was, you know, could I even do it? Yeah. So from that, from that kind of big rejection, I thought, okay, I need to write a novel. So I wrote a novel. And again, this is, yeah, 2006, 7, 8. You know, that novel was, was complete trash. But, <laughs> yeah, but I, but I went in with the expectation that, yes, it was going to be rubbish. Like, what my aim was, can I write a novel-length piece of fiction, hmm. which is a heck of a lot longer than a short story. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I wrote 120,000 words oh, wow. of a really terrible novel. But <laughs> it's like, okay, I can do it. Yeah, the stamina is actually, there. You can, yeah. you can piece it together. You can plan it all, etc. Yeah. And also, again, going back to the whole thing you said about the kind of discipline of it, it was like, well, you know, having moved to the UK and I was working you know, full-time, um, I had to then learn how to schedule myself and carve out time and and have that discipline to keep going. And especially, you know, when you're starting out, um, you know, you do it with, without any expectation of something happening. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to persevere. Yeah. So again, it was like finding the time and like this kind of self-discipline. Um, and it, yeah, so, it, so, yeah. I mean, I suppose one question there is, and you know, it's, it's something that everyone probably faces as a writer which is you know you, you'd, you'd sent off this first novel it had been rejected you'd written something else which you yourself decided wasn't wasn't great but what what kept you going what was the belief that you had that said you know I know this hasn't worked yet but this is something that, that I think is going to work I guess I thought I had something um, you know and this is again going right back to primary school. Like, you know, my stories were the ones that were always published each month to be published. You know, mm-hmm. it's written out in nice handwriting. <laughs> um, my stories mysteriously appear in the high school yearbook without them telling me because the English teacher liked it. You know, so they and again the Doctor Who fan fiction that I wrote, not all of it, but it, like it started to get published in the fanzines more and more. So I enjoyed doing it, and I thought there's something there that. I'm like, there's something there that I need to work on mm-hmm. because I'm not good enough. So that's kind of what kept me going. And it's funny looking back on it. Yeah, I wrote that first, the first full length novel. Um, and it was more, it was like a kind of proof of concept that I could do it. Um, uh, but yeah, and then I wrote another one. And then I wrote, actually, I wrote, I wrote three kind of back to back. And I felt that each one, got better because I knew that I had to kind of put in the mm-hmm. time. Um, but I'm also like, I'm quite persistent with things. I'm, um, you know, I kind of wanted to do it and I want to do it seriously. And I thought if I'm going to do it seriously, I've, you've got to just keep doing it. Yeah. Um, knowing full well, because yeah, also at that time when I was writing the first one, I started going to, you know, science fiction conventions in the UK um, and you know, learning about the industry and how it all works and you know, absolutely knowing that it's, yeah, I kind of considered it's pretty much impossible to get published. Like, getting an agent is impossible, being published is impossible. But then I'd go to things like EasterCon, which is the, you know, the UK's yeah. annual science fiction convention, and it's a hotel full of published authors. So, like, it's impossible, but at the same time, people do it. Yeah. 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 So I kind of aimed for that impossible goal and your your <laughs> first book was it was empire state am i right in saying that was your first one out yeah that was the first one 
And that's um, a kind of um, noiry superhero kind of kind of feel to it, which I think is probably obviously an area that you like to write in. Um, how, how did you get into the into that first book? Then how did you get that? How did that? How did you make that that first book happen? Um, so that so Empire State was the third book that I'd written, um, and it was the first one where I thought this is there's something in it. Uh, and in fact, I was a member of a like a writing group in Manchester, the science fiction fantasy one. And, you know, writing groups, you critique everybody else's work, mm-hmm. and provide notes and stuff. And when I did like the first couple of chapters of Empire State and like the notes that came back were like amazing. And it's kind of like, yeah, okay, there is something in that. And, you know, that's kind of the, that's, that's the book that has like my first chance at being published. Yeah. Because yeah. It's good. And it's good enough. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of, I was into, you know, I like, as well as science fiction and fantasy, I like comics and I like sort of crime, um, crime fiction and, you know, period stuff. I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by New York and mm-hmm. Prohibition era and the kind of pulpy noir thing. So in, you know, superhero comics, so it all kind of crashed together in Empire State, like just this mangle of like all the things that I liked at the time, like all together. Um, which is like, and I, I remember enjoying the process of writing it. So clearly that was a good idea that my brain had come up with. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's a third one I'd written. Um, and I submitted that. So I'd met an editor on Twitter, Lee Harris, who was the editor at Angry Robot Books. So I'd met, so I'd joined Twitter a couple of years before, but again, it wasn't because I was trying to be a writer and to use Twitter to promote myself mm-hmm. or books or anything. I joined Twitter because being the kind of geeky person, I liked hanging out with people that liked comics. Yeah. Yeah. Fiction, comics, you know, um, superheroes and things. So, you know, Lee and I shared quite a lot of interests. So we became friends online and then, and he knew that, well, you know, cause obviously I was tweeting about writing. So he knew I was doing something and then I was actually in, they were based in Nottingham at the time and I was actually in Nottingham for something else. And I said, Oh, can I come and visit the office? So him and uh, Marco Gascoigne, who was the publisher, we went out to lunch and we're just talking about stuff. And then they go, okay, so what's this book you've been secretly writing? <laughs> not, not so secretly writing. So I kind of like unprepared, totally unprepared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just kind of garbled this elevator pitch, which was really horrible. Um, but they, they go, oh yeah, well, when you, you know, when you, when you think it's ready, yeah, we'll have a look. Oh wow, brilliant! Um, That's a great course, opportunity. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's like so. I knew the people, and I liked Angry Robot books, and I felt even that, you know, it was my book was the right kind of thing for their kind of mm-hmm. genre, subgenre. They did a lot of genre mixing and things. Uh, yeah, and of course, I was, you know, I didn't have an agent. Um, the book was kind of done, but I needed to revise it. But it was good because they told me, you know, they they said when. It's ready. We'll have a look, and I kind of took that to heart. When it's ready, yeah. So I didn't rush home and just send it off. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, I need to make sure because it's a really good. I knew it was a good opportunity, and that publishers don't take unagented mm-hmm. writers very often. Um, yeah. So then they they so they took that, and then I got the call on my birthday, like them three months later or something. And they said that they'd buy that one and they wanted one more. 
And I actually sold them the two together, and it was Empire State and Seven Wonders. Right. And Seven Wonders was actually the second novel I'd written. So I'd written it before, right. em, before Empire State. But again, it was it was complete in a version that I knew I could revise. Um, that very first novel, which is still locked away safely, um, is complete <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> like, but it, but I, you know, I learned a great deal from that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you you force yourself to write 120,000 words. You learn a lot. Mm-hmm. So, Seven Wonders, even though it needed a lot of work, was exponentially better <laughs> than the first one. And then Empire State was better again. So they brought the two together. Brilliant. Um, and that's how. Yeah, that was it. I mean, it, it's amazing that the, the number of authors that we've spoken to that you know if you pick up the writer's artist yearbook or look online how do i get published there is a very set thing of right go through the find the agents yeah. that like what you do send off the three chapters with a letter that's very polished blah 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 blah. and this is the thing that's repeated 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 yeah and yet so many of the authors that we've spoken to have got into publishing in a very different yeah. way you know it's yeah. it's incredible yeah. often no no two tales are, are the yeah. same you know it's and, a, and a, yeah. there's an element of luck to it but there's an element of making your own luck and being yeah getting yourself in the position to actually to have to to, to be able to meet people you know going on to twitter well, yeah. making friends with the person you know laying the groundwork see this is the thing about getting published it's like it's the right place at the right time but you can get yourself to the right place exactly by doing the work and then the opportunity, if you kind of set yourself up, the opportunity comes along. So it's like, so yes, there's an element of luck, but there's also, and I remember this is ages ago, I went to a convention, like a comics convention, like 2008, long before I'd even, you know, committed myself to kind of writing properly. Mm-hmm. But Paul Cornell, who's obviously you know, written Doctor Who and comics and mm-hmm. uh, novels and things, he was on this panel so before I kind of knew him. Um, and he said, it's lots of, you know, getting published is about lots of little opportunities. And what you need to do is look out for the you know, tiny, tiny microscopic opportunities that are like little cracks in the door. And if you can kind of keep going for those as you go along, then mm-hmm. you kind of, you, you, you know, you might get somewhere. So the whole thing about this kind of standard format of, you know, as you said, you list your agents, you... You query them, you query letter, and you sample chapters, and all this kind of stuff. And you have query trackers, and you can do all this research. Like that's absolutely the right thing to do, and it's great discipline for kind of organising yourself um, as a professional writer. And it's also it's it's giving you those that kind of those tools and that mindset that gets you to that right place. Mm-hmm. So, in the course of doing all that, yes, opportunities may come up. Um, and it's you know, cause it's funny you said that because I probably don't know any of my author friends who have got in that traditional yeah. way of doing a query letter and then getting yeah. an agent and then um you know, and I went in, I sold two books without an agent, which is like absolutely the wrong mm-hmm. thing to do and you should never ever ever do it. <laughs> Except it kind of worked out for me because it was because I'd sold these two books and they were announced in the kind of industry press. And I started getting loads of queries about movie rights and TV rights and all these kind of things. Um, and I knew then that, okay, I really needed an agent to kind of handle all this because that's part of what they do. So I had a friend, um, Chuck Wendig, who 
I didn't know his agent, but I said, can I just ask your agent some questions? Just general questions. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, what do you do? How do you get an agent? What are all these people who are like contacting me? Um, so he introduced me to her, the station decker, and she answered my questions and then said, oh, what was that book that you sold to Angry Robot? Can I take a look? Just, you know, mm -hmm. this is like Friday night, yeah, UK, UK time. I was yeah. like, yeah, okay, I sent, sent it off. Um, and then like, a couple of hours later, she came back saying, I can represent you because this is a really great book. And Oh, wow. That's, that might be the fastest so, uh, yeah. send-off to, <laughs> to, to please sign with me I've ever heard. That's fantastic. But this is, but in the end, I wasn't even querying her or anything. She was mm -hmm. like, yeah. I yeah. didn't never even occur to me that like that would happen. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it did. So that was a Friday night to remember. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and but but it's like without although I did it the wrong way around, you know, never ever sell a book without mm -hmm. an agent. I wouldn't have if I hadn't done it that way. I wouldn't have met her. Yeah, and got her yeah. as my agent. And exactly. as it happens, she's like the perfect agent for me. Yeah, so again, I kind of everything's sort of that. fallen into place because of the yeah. route you've taken. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And since those books, you've you've written you've sort of created some series of, of books. So you've, you've got the Real Electromatic series uh, and you've got Spider Wars and, and things like that, which, and they're also, especially the Real Electromatic ones, are this unusual, but for me, personally speaking, a very cool sort of mashup of genres, as you say, this um, mixing the noir with with sort of period uh, and and a robot detective and things like that. So, yeah. um, is it is that just the sort of story that that you've always been interested in, or or you know why why do you play in that sort of sandpit? Yeah, um, it's funny because it, almost Empire State was like a trial run mm. for the Ray Electromatic mysteries. Um, it's almost like I was getting it out of my system with those books. Um, you know, the Ray Electromatic Mysteries was not a series that I actually intended to write as a series of books. Uh, I did a, a, cause I had the, the two space operas, sort of horror space opera, which is a Spider Wars series mm. with tour books. And I'd written a novelette, which is that kind of weird, not a novella, not a novel length thing for tour.com, uh, which is Brisk Money, which is the first Ray Electromatic story. Which is basically just an origin story, but it's self-contained, kind of comes to an end. And the editor of that, Paul Stevens, who was the editor of the Spider Wars series, kind of said, this is a really good idea for a series of books. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, okay, sure. Of course, of course it is. <laughs> so I emailed, like, so he said, he said, you know, this is just the weird thing of how it happens. It's like, what well, can you, you know, what would happen in three books? Mm -hmm. Um, and he's like, I don't even want a synopsis. I want just like a, like imagine you're writing the back cover blurbs for these three books. I want to be surprised and not know what's happening, which is like not how editors work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I did that and he's like, so then he signed me up for a trilogy of novels based and, on this short story. And then, and so, so at, at that point, you've, you've got your three book deal. Um, and, and, and how do you start planning all that? Do you, do you kind of say, you know, I want to focus on one book, make this the best book it can be, put everything into it, and then have some time away from that, have a think and see where I can take it? Or do you have to say, no, here's the three books, here's the plot through all of them, 
and you know I need to save some stuff which I'll knowingly save stuff in the book two and three. I think yeah, you do have to do some of that because um, you know when a publisher buys more than one book, they do want to know what's happening. Okay. Although I although that was unusual because it was like back cover blurbs, mm. but I did kind of have to you know they had to know what was happening, so it was definitely planned as three with an overarching story but i also wanted to make sure that each book was sort of you know readable on its own yeah because series are difficult because you know the, no matter what happens half as many people buy the second yeah. book as they bought the first yeah and it kind of goes on um unless you can you know get a you know kind of breakout bestseller kind of thing um but also it's important and this is sort of writing in general it's like don't don't save anything Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people like writers I talk to, and they're like, "Oh, you know, I need to. I've got this really great idea, but I should. I really want to write this other book first, and this really amazing idea. I should save it for book two because it's going to be awesome. And if it fits book two, fine. But but don't get into a habit of saving saving cool yeah. stuff and saving ideas because ideas are kind of infinite and free, and there'll always be a better idea coming. Yeah. You'll get a better idea next year." And you'll get a better idea in 20 years. Yeah. So there's absolutely no point. And every book that you write, like it has to be the very best book that you've ever written. So even yeah. if you've got three books, I, I, as I was writing those, the, the three, each one I definitely kind of focused on individually. So the Made to Kill, which is the first one, like this is going to be the best book I've written. And then when that was all done and dusted, second book, it's like this book is going to be the best book I've ever written. Just, that's just a kind of, you know, mentality yeah. and kind of mindset. Yeah, I, th- I, think working on it. I think you have to have that belief. I mean, you never want to go into it saying, I'll just, this one won't be <laughs> well, as good, yeah. but I'll just <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll keep going. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, and it's like, yeah, if you're not putting 100% into it, then like people are going to see that when yeah. they read yeah. it. Yeah. And if and you're holding that... stuff back and saving ideas, then you're always going to be focusing on what that next thing is, which is yeah. going to be amazing, yeah. not what you're actually doing. Exactly. As if, as, if what, as if what you're doing is like, as you said, it's kind of, oh, just, just yeah, send it off. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I think people can always tell when, you know, when they're reading something and they're like, this is okay, but it feels like it's set up for this next big idea or it feels like it's, he wasn't, his heart wasn't really in it because he was really wanting to write this next book. And, and as you say, yeah. if you have half as many readers as you go down a chain, you don't want to be saving your best idea for book three. Yeah. We've got a quarter yeah. of people over left. Yeah. You, want, and, you want massive, yeah. maximum impact. Yeah. In a sporting analogy, which Tarek won't like, it, it's kind of like a, <laughs> a, sport. a football penalty shootout when you, you're, you're saving your best player for the last penalty and you might never get there. You know, yeah. So it, the game can already be lost. So you, you need yeah. to put what you can in there. Um, you've also done a lot of uh, franchise tie-in books. Uh, which I suppose is, goes back to the idea of what you were saying when you were younger, you loved reading the Doctor Who books and things like that. I mean, how how did you get into writing those tie-ins? Um, yeah, I'd always wanted to write tie-ins because, as you said, I'd kind of grown up with Doctor Who books, so I never thought of them as being a, any kind of lesser mm-hmm. kind of book, which sometimes they do have that kind of stigma, you know, it's just a tie-in or whatever. Um so I'd hoped that the opportunity would come along sometime, but it's definitely this. I knew it's not something that you really work towards because it's difficult to get tie-in work for a variety of reasons, which I'm sure we'll come to. Um, 
so I was focusing on original work, but the first ones I wrote was for Elementary, the TV series, which mm-hmm. is that Johnny Lee Miller, Lucy Liu, Sherlock Holmes version. And it was only because uh, Titan, who my UK publisher, had bought the two space opera books, the ones that went for tour from tour in the US. And I went down, as you do, to meet the editor and have lunch and, you know, isn't that wonderful and toast our success and it's going to be fantastic. And in the middle of all that, they were talking about elementary, just kind of between themselves. And I was like, oh, you're doing elementary books because I love elementary. It's like my favorite show. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, we're doing elementary books. and uh, But they're all kind of, they're tied up and I've got the author done and you know, it's all it's all under control and handled. And I was like, oh, okay. It's okay. Fine. That's fine. <laughs> you like that. <laughs> um, and then it must have been six weeks later, maybe longer, I got an email from my agent to say, because obviously, I, as you do with agents, you tell them what's going on and mm-hmm. what you've been doing. And so I kind of had reported back and forgotten about it. Um, still bitter inside that, <laughs> you know, they, I couldn't do an elementary novel. Um, so six weeks later, I get this email saying, do you still want to do elementary? Because things have gone crazy and um, you know the schedule's changed and the requirements have changed and it's all kind of a bit chaotic. And they need a book in three weeks. Three so weeks? Three weeks. Jeez. Wow. Um, so, and again, we'll come to this, I'm sure, licensed work is a very peculiar relationship yep. with deadlines and, and things. Um so what they needed really was someone who, because it was such a tight deadline, who knew the show inside out and back to front and that they could just trust to write um, write a tie-in book, you know, use the characters, use the world, have an understanding of those mm-hmm. to produce something which is which is an elementary story. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to do like an audition chapter, which was the first. So I did a synopsis which is massive. It was like 20,000 words. And the book itself is only 80,000 words. So it's like so, a quarter so, of the length. But where did the idea for this come from? You know, when you, when you had to write the yeah, synopsis, did, was it, did you have an idea already? Did it come to you and say it needs to be about this? Ah, well, no. So, um, and this is the thing about like how you, how you kind of, you train yourself as a writer. I had to write an elementary story and had to fit in within the season. And I think it was like season one or two at the time. It had to be self-contained, so like you could just slot it in as like one of yeah. those, just a, just an episode, um, and that was it. So I was like, okay, I got it over a weekend. I had to come up with a twenty thousand word synopsis. Jeez. And there's the thing: it's like, well, someone hires you to write something, you don't wait for the muse to strike yeah. and for inspiration to descend upon you. Like you're like, okay, elementary, what's it about? Well, there's a mystery. Okay, there's a murder. Great. What's a kind of weird? elementary style twisty murder thing and I kind of wrote it over a weekend and the audition chapter was the first chapter and it had to include Sherlock Holmes and Watson um, so that CBS which is a TV network that makes elementary so they could see that I understood the characters and how they mm-hmm. you know, how they exist um, so once they were happy with that they kind of signed me up and I wrote I wrote two books um, which is like you know this is this is now this is interesting because this is like this is the dream. This is a tie-in book mm-hmm. because 
having grown up with Doctor Who books, yeah. I was now in the realms yeah. of my favourite authors like Terence Dix and Malcolm Hulk and all those Doctor Who writers who wrote Doctor Who books. Um, plus, I got two novels that have got Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu on the cover, which is like something I never dreamed would happen. Yeah. And and you've written Sherlock Holmes stories as well, which is something. And the Sherlock Holmes yeah. stories. Yeah. yeah. And, it was like and, a confluence. And, and, you know, as, as another example of, yeah, in, in some ways it was right place, right, right time, but you you had to make the most of that. Or you, in fact, you were in, the, in that room and making clues to them. I yeah. like the show. I yeah, know it very well. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you, you, you grab that chance and you run with it. Again, it was a, one of these weird, it's a stroke of luck and an opportunity that came along. And like, yeah. if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have got them. You know, I wasn't looking for it. I didn't seek it out. But I liked elementary by coincidence. And I knew that Titan did lots of licensed books. And it just happened that they were having problems with that and they were talking about it. Uh, and I kind of butted in and then someone remembered me. Brilliant. So, yeah. And then on the back of that, I did three novels for a video game series called Dishonored. Dishonored, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the same publisher. So, yeah, because I've done elementary, they're like, okay, well, here's someone that can do tie-in work. Um, so I did a trilogy. And this goes to the thing about licensed and tie-in fiction. Um, again, you, know, it's, you don't start out doing tie-in fiction mm. because it's a, it's a kind of strange sort of job. You know, um, you've got very tight deadlines. You've often got very specific briefs about what is needed because it has to fit in with a larger kind of program of stuff. Um, you have to not only be able to write a kind of coherent, entertaining novel-length piece of fiction, which is actually quite hard, but it has to fit in with the universe that you're writing yeah. using characters that not only already exist, but you know, in some cases people absolutely love. Yeah. So you've kind of got this responsibility to get it absolutely right. Otherwise yeah. people are going to be unhappy with with you. Um, so that's why tie in work and license work is it's difficult because you've got all these, these um, requirements on top of the fact that you're actually having to write a whole novel, mm-hmm. which itself is quite a big job. Yeah, absolutely. So again, it's 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 one of those things where you, you don't start doing it because you have to have you have to be able to demonstrate that you can write a book to deadline. You know, um, I already had a kind of backlist of novels that had been published, so they knew I could write a book, um, and I could meet deadlines, and I could follow direction. And this is also a thing. It's like it's not time work is not for every author because because of these specific requirements. You know, it happened that I could write an elementary novel in three weeks, which sounds, you know, crazy. Um, but at a push, I could do it. But you know, not everyone can do that. And it sounds like the elementary one was a particularly tight deadline. But do these other tie-ins? Do you have longer deadlines, or are they all on a very short leash like that? Um, yeah, that was particularly unusual. Uh, normally, you probably got about two months to write the draft, um, which is, you know, still quite short, yeah. eight weeks or so. Sometimes, you know, six weeks. I think I did the Stranger Things novel in, that was seven weeks, just the and, first draft. And why is it so short for, you know, I mean, I get that if it's a show, especially a show that's ongoing, that's on the air, that, you know, the, you want to get out before something happens in the show that it means the book isn't won't fit in anymore and there's obviously that kind of kind of element but but why you know something like the 
the video game stories that you've written, what, what, why do they need to be, why are they so tight? Why can't you say it takes six months? I think it's, well, there's two reasons. Um, the first one is that the, the licensor, so the people that own the property, whether, no matter what it is, if it's film, TV, video game, mm-hmm. um, you know, they have their own program of stuff. So they're probably like, the video game stuff is kind of maybe a bit different, but like with elementary, like their primary thing was getting the episodes of elementary made and out on mm-hmm. time. And, you know, they wanted, I don't know, there was like an art book and there was the two novels or you take another, like Stranger Things, there was a behind the scenes book, there was another novel, there was a YA novel. Star Wars is even more complicated because you've got comics and toys and yeah. audios and everything. So all of this stuff, the licensor kind of plans um, and, you know, they don't plan it two years in advance like you would for a, like an original novel. It's like, well, this year we're doing this, so we want to have a book out in December. So they go to their license holder, whether you know, Titan was for elementary and Dishonored, and they're like, okay, these are the requirements. So there's that kind of thing. It just has to fit into their kind of marketing and sales program. So you yeah, you are a small cog in a larger yeah, yeah. sort of machine. Um, the other thing is that so many people are involved with a tie-in book. Um, so, well, yeah, so many people have to. So many people have got their eyes on the project. Yeah. So like, if you do a normal or, you know, original novel, it's, you write it, and there's the editor, and then you know, later on you got the copy editor and you got the marketing people. But with a licensed book, it's like okay, there's you and the editor. And then there's the contact you have with the licensor. Then there's, like with Stranger Things, one of the staff writers was kind of the supervisor. And then there's the showrunners and the producers. And then they have got on the net, like with, it was, with elementary, it was CBS. And with Stranger Things, it was Netflix. Mm-hmm. But there's executives on, the, on that kind of Netflix or CBS side who have to look at things. And all these people have to approve it. And read it, read it, approve it, sign off on it, mm-hmm. suggest changes, and the changes can be for story reasons, or they can be because you know you accidentally guess a plot line yeah. coming up, and you yeah. have to kind yeah. of adjust things. So, from a purely kind of logistical point of view, because there are so many people looking at what you're doing, you, you know, all of that takes time, and you yeah. have to condense it down. Otherwise, you'd kind of never get it done. So, yeah. it's just it's purely practical. And is the process, therefore, a lot different in terms of how you approach it and plan it and all of this sort of stuff? Is that is that a different process you have for these tie-in novels as opposed to your original novel? I think, yeah, at the beginning, there's definitely more planning. Um, you know, they, often, they require very detailed outlines. Mm-hmm. Um, not as detailed as that 20,000-word opus that I wrote for elementary, but... Um, Again, because these there are so many people that need to look at it and approve it and make sure it fits in. Mm-hmm. That as much you know, if you can get as much detail as possible into that outline, then everybody is happy and everybody knows what you're doing. And then actually that it helps, of course, because when it comes to the drafting of the actual manuscript, you've got a really strong structure which you can follow. Yeah. Um, which is a you know, even though you put all that work in at the beginning, it really does pay off. So yeah, so there's definitely there's more, much more involvement on that outline side before you even start writing, you know, that's an outline will go through several passes 
um, you know, rounds of revision and things with comments coming in and you kind of adjust and adjust. And sometimes, you know, you can get to fifth or sixth revision of the outline and it's quite different to where you started yeah. from. But again, this is the thing of, of the way they choose people to do tie-ins. It's like you've got to be able to take in all that, all that commentary and and revisions and notes because you are, you, know, you are crafting a story for them that has to fit with what they want. Um, and what's your favourite? If you know you've 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 kind of done both. You've you've written the tie-in stuff and you've done your own original work. And what do you prefer? Do you prefer you know? Is there something quite fun about being handed the toys in the sandbox and playing with them and then put them back, or is it more fun to but more work to to have to create everything from scratch? You know, what 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 would you choose? I kind of I do like I like both of them and they are both very different. So absolutely, because I'm this kind of you know I'm a geeky science fiction fan. To be able to write in someone else's universe is yeah. kind yeah. of brilliant. You know, um, something like Stranger Things was such a complete joy to work on because I'm a fan of Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, when you do your own original stuff, it's interesting because having done quite a lot of tie-in stuff kind of all together, um, you know, the Dishonored three books and then I did Stranger Things kind of all back to back when I went back to whatever it was I was working on of my own I was like oh I'm on my own now and it's like <laughs> I'm just writing this thing and nobody, nobody knows what it is nobody yeah. knows the characters or the story yeah. and I'm kind of thinking well I hope people like it because it's quite a lot of work and I really like it and, and you do get that kind of no, go on. no it's, it's, a, it's a whole it's a whole different mark isn't it because you can you know there's folk who will buy a book Based on the Stranger Things universe, because they like that 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 kind of universe. But as you say, you have to create this whole thing yourself, and yeah, and no one, and no one knows about it. Well, the, yeah, and absolutely, like I'm under no illusion that the people bought a Stranger Things novel because it was a Stranger Things novel. Nothing to do with the fact that I wrote it. Um, you know, if they enjoyed it and then and then discovered me as an author and went on to read some of my other stuff, that's great. But yeah. like that's not why I write tie-ins because it's a tiny, tiny proportion of people that would ever do that. So my job as writing a tie-in novel is to write something that's true to the property and that people are going to enjoy. Yeah. You know, nothing more than that. So I don't yeah, I don't kind of I kind of keep the streams separate, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. like there's the tie-ins and there's the original and they're two different things and they don't really overlap very much. So yeah, but like I, you know, I enjoy doing both. It's nice to do one and the other. Otherwise, you get kind of tangled up and because it's a different type of writing and it requires a different kind of mindset. It's good for me to kind of reset myself, hmm. you know, do a tie-in, and then back to my own stuff. And again, with your own stuff, yeah, you've got the luxury of time. Yeah, you know, deadlines are usually you know way longer and way more flexibility, obviously, because it's your own creation and. Really, if you've got a really good editor, you know, you're developing it when it comes to the edit process, you know, you're developing it together and it's this really cool creative process rather than just being told kind of what needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. And and from the point of view of being obviously a fan of these tie-ins, you know, the, the, the worlds that the tie-ins are set in and stuff, it must be quite good being on the inside of that. You know, um, you, you do work star wars as well and stuff like that so getting in on the inside of that and maybe understanding you know their their grander plan and stuff which i'm not going to ask you about but um (laughs) you know that must be from the point of view of a fan quite good fun as well oh yeah yeah this is the thing it's like it's you um 
like time is not fan fiction. There is a distinction between mm-hmm. fan fiction and time fiction, but it really does help if you're a fan, mm-hmm. um, because especially with elementary, you know, elementary was such a large, you know, it's a mainstream network TV show in the States. So there's a huge amount of people working on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew more about the show than most people working on it, which is not a negative comment on them. Mm-hmm. It's because it me as a fan, I was diving way deeper into the kind of mythology of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they actually, they took my notes and kind of incorporated them into their kind of show Bible because I, you know, it was useful for them. So that's kind of cool. You know, that's, um, that's the indulging the kind of fan side. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't know if I'm disappointed or not, but like they, they really don't tell you anything, you know, um, you sure, absolutely. You find out stuff, and you, you know, because you have to, yeah, to a certain extent. But the, you know, Stranger Things was like I wrote it. I wrote that novel before season three had shown. Yeah, and I and I had to kind of tie it into season three because it's set between two and three, and like trying to get information out of them about what happens in season three was just impossible. <laughs> All they'd say was like, you know. I'd have to suggest something and they'd say, yes, you can do that. Or no, you can't do that. Like, and I, from that, I had to kind of piece together yeah. some clues. It's, it about sounds like such on. a strange writing process because you're you're trying to create something original that fits in with something that already exists and you want to build up, you want to help build the hype up for season three. You want to lead in, you know, build into it in some way, but they're not telling you what's going on and you're kind of writing blindfolded and you're asking yes, no questions without the context. And it, 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 yeah. it sounds like such a, completely different type of writing to, as you say to your own stuff where it's you can flesh it out and you and the editor work and yeah it's it's, it's amazing yeah. how separate it is yeah and it is and it's like it's like that's not to say that the stranger things novel is not an an, an original novel mm-hmm. you know of my creation my of story course. you know um but you have to take all that kind of stuff into consideration yeah um and sort of going back to that kind of indulging the geeky side of it if i could sneak stuff in even tiny stuff that linked directly to stuff that we see on TV, mm. then that kind of satisfied that yeah. That yeah. itch that I had. You know, in the in Stranger Things, the show, um, Hopper's first wife, you know, we don't know much about her. Mm. So I gave her a job. You know, she's an elementary school teacher, which is that. So that's now official Stranger yeah, Things kind cool. of canon. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And at the beginning of season three, um, Eleven has a walkie-talkie to communicate with mm-hmm. her friends. So... I had given her that walkie-talkie in the book. Oh, that's very cool. So she, so she, like, but that's that's tiny. Like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean anything. Mm-hmm. But it's still kind of cool. Yeah, like, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, you've, 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 you've been added to it. Yeah. Exactly. No, no, I like yeah. that a lot. Absolutely. And you've obviously you've written a lot of books, but um, do you ever suffer from writer's block or anything like that? Which, if you were writing a tie-in novel, it sounds like could be a disaster in terms yeah. of the timeline. <laughs> Spent two weeks yeah. not knowing what to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, um, you just don't, yeah well, this, deadlines are really good motivators, and it's really good. I actually work quite well under pressure, which is probably why I enjoy tie-ins quite a lot, because, yeah, you have to do it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I also, I kind of, although it sounds a bit weird and maybe detracts from the kind of artistic, creative side of it, but, like, when it comes down to the crunch, I kind of have to consider it as a job. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, you don't turn up to your day job and kind of not do anything. Think, oh, I don't feel like I'm yeah. able to do. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at my office desk waiting for inspiration. Like, 
no, you have a job to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and sure, you have up days and you have down days and all that kind of stuff, but it's the same kind of thing. It's just that kind of discipline and work ethic. Um, you know, and I do enjoy writing, so it's it's not difficult to summon that willpower to write. Having said that, absolutely, I've had writer's block. Um, I've also, I, you know, I had burnout, you know, mm. because I did the three, I did the three dishonored novels back to back. Yeah. And I was kind of, I'd had it for like six months mm-hmm. because there was a lot of pressure and a lot of time, a lot of, you know, short space of time. And I, my brain needed to rest. Yeah. You know, uh, it took me a long time to actually figure that out because I'd be, I'd be trying to do stuff and it was like, you know, getting blood out of a stone kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, hang on a second, maybe I should actually just stop for and have a rest and, and, I mean, you know, regroup. I mean, so many people put out, you know, one book every year, one book every two years to do. It sounds like there was a period where, at least where you were putting out a number of books in really rapid succession. That is tiring. You know, it's, it's, it's tiring writing and, and to mm-hmm. do that sustained pressure with deadlines, et cetera, that, that tight must have been. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty yeah. Hard. and again, that's it, it happened because it was tie-in books because yeah, yeah. they were all together. You know, normally I wouldn't really want to do more than one original novel a year, and that's also not just because of from your own kind of mental health and and point of view. But even you know, I'm a huge fan of Stephen King, but I I am I am not up to date with his output because yeah. like he does a book yeah. a year. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there's a book every nine months. Mm. And like even for an ardent fan, that can be you just lose track. It's just yeah. too much. And they're pretty big books as well. Ah, <laughs> Quite yeah. weighty tomes sometimes. Like, that's, uh, how does he yeah. do it so fast? I don't know how he does that. Yeah. Um, I mean that that's funny actually though, because we've spoken to a couple of people who self publish and you know, that that's their career path in writing. And it's interesting because it's kind of the opposite for them because they say they need to have new stuff coming out a lot mm. to stay in the mind of the, the yeah. people that get their books. So they, you know, I think they've got uh, even every five months or something, they'll have something new coming out because if they leave it too long, then the people have moved on and gone on elsewhere. But I suppose that is the, one of the differences between sort of traditional publishing and self-publishing. Yeah. And I mean, it's, that's, you know, I written, um, I've done some comics as well mm-hmm. and, you know, that's the same kind of thing. Like, it's a useful thing to kind of keep bubbling away at something that kind of crops up at more regular intervals mm-hmm. so people kind of are aware of what's going on and what you're doing. And certainly with self-publishing, yeah, because you need to keep your momentum going because it's kind of, it's just you mm-hmm. as a, you know, um, as a thing to, to kind of just, you've got, you've got to get your name out there. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. look at my, like, I was looking back on it, like my my last original novel was out like in 2017, mm-hmm. which was the, the last one of the Rayleigh Dramatic series. Yeah. And then I've been busy with tie-in work. So in a way, the tie-in work kind of fulfills that that thing of keeping me keeping me going and, and kind of having stuff out there while I'm writing whatever yeah. my next yeah. book is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you, have, is, you have that time to, 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 to work yeah. on your own stuff, but, not that, but the pressure's off a little bit because your name's still out there, you still get Yeah, because I've got, yeah, and because tie-in books are, are in a very condensed time frame, you know, it's, if I can get one in, you know, between something else, that's actually quite good. Yeah. 
And and I just say you've you've done some work in the comic world. Um, Chuck Wendig, you wrote one with uh, the Shield. Yep, it was called. That's right. And is, is that someone you'd like to do more of? Is that is it quite a nice change again, like the kind of away from the from the, the novel side of things? Comics is interesting because like I, I'm a comics reader and a comics fan, but writing comics it's a it's a very difficult industry. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's very difficult to get into, and it's a lot of work for. And again, this is this horrible business side it's a lot of work for relatively little return yeah, yeah. So you do it because you want to do it yeah mm-hmm. and because you love comics and i i do love comics but it's like i need you know the amount of work when i've got other books due it's you know mm-hmm. and it's this thing of again of like if opportunities come along then absolutely so i did those four issues of the shield with chuck and then um last year or this year last year time is Taken on your meaning. <laughs> so last year I did a Star Wars comic as a backup and um, Star Wars, an issue of Star Wars Adventures. It's just an eight-page story, mm-hmm. which again, eight pages. You know, you can fit that in around your other deadlines, and it's a fun thing because obviously I love Star Wars and I love comics, so mm. I could kind of do that and be really happy with how it came out. Um, and again, uh, if something if something comes along, then sure, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have a look. And I suppose is is doing a um, a smaller kind of eight issue script quite a nice way to dip your toe in the water a little bit, get yourself known in the comic world without taking yeah. on a massive you know six issue series or whatever. Yeah, and again because it's a different a different kind of writing. Yeah, you know, um, I actually found because you know comics is um, telling a story in a short amount of pages, mostly through dialogue, and obviously you know comics is is writing and art but in terms of the, on the writing side it's all dialogue yeah, yeah. You know, gone are the days of captions and thought bubbles and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. and that yeah. actually really helped me when it came to prose in terms of like really honing my dialogue mm-hmm. skills yeah yeah so it's kind of useful that. from that point of view as well cool and and it's it, we've spoken to some comic writers as well and i suppose the other major difference would be it's you know it's a, it's a much more collaborative process with the artist as well um yeah. So the story can develop, you know, you're both developing the story as opposed to you on your own kind of a thing. Um, I mean, you co- did you co-write The Shield with Chuck? Or Yes. Yeah, so yeah. have you co-written other stuff and do you, do you enjoy writing with someone else? I haven't actually done any other co-writing. The thing with doing The Shield was that um, Chuck and I have very different writing styles. Well, writing styles, but also we write different kinds of books, mm-hmm. like completely different kind of books. And that's actually why I think it worked so well, because I would write stuff that he never could write, yeah. and he would write stuff that I could never write. Mm-hmm. And then when you put those two together, um, you come up with this other thing, which yeah. is new. And the way we did it with the four issues is that one of us would write the first draft, and then the other person would edit and then go back and forth, and then would swap over for the next issue. Mm-hmm. And by the time you've gone through four or five exchanges of edits, you know you couldn't remember what who had written yeah. what. So it became this kind of new thing. Um, so yeah, I'd definitely be up for doing a collaboration again, and I think it would have to be with someone, again, who is a different kind of writer. Because if it was the same kind of writer, you'd, I don't know why you'd be wondering why you're doing it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I suppose you, you, know, you always want the strength of someone else whose work is yeah. kind of different than yours. And you, if, as long as you work well together, you complement yeah. each other, you kind of you, you get the best of both of you. Put out, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Otherwise, there'd be no point doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, so, so what's coming up next then? So, let's see. I've got a, I've got a short story in the um, Star Wars from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back anthology, cool. uh, which is out in November. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Very cool. Um, I'm working on a original novel for once, which uh, who knows? This is the thing: original novels, and I've kind of forgotten. You know, if I handed in the manuscript tomorrow, it's not going to be out for two years. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like whereas a ty- uh, license work is like you hand it in tomorrow. Oh, it's out in December. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's quite cool actually. Been knowing it's actually out exactly the next three four months as, as yeah. opposed to eighteen months which must be quite nice. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's a, it's a part of the difference, which is really cool. So, yeah, working on that. And then, um, yeah, I've got lots of other ideas. Got to keep on, just keep on working. Excellent. Nice. Um, Would you ever want to, you know, write a screenplay or anything like that? Get into that world? Yeah, again, it's like if the opportunity came. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not something I'll look for. Yeah. But if the opportunity came, then absolutely. And it goes back to that thing of, you know, I've got stuff that's due and deadlines so i need to kind of do my work first mm-hmm. yeah but absolutely if something came along that was right um it's you know, really... lucky... so well i'm lucky in that i can be picky mm-hmm. i've got to the point now like especially with, like with time work as well you know i don't take every bit of time work that comes along mm-hmm. i choose what i want to do which is a you know great position to be in um and again it's like stuff that comes in it's like well you know, do I want to do it? Is it worth doing? Is it fun to do? Yeah. Mm. But I'm aware that that's like, you know, it's a privilege to be able to be in that position. Yeah. What was the last film that you saw? <laughs> oh my God. I watched um, The Searchers. Which is a nineteen fifty six John Wayne Western. Oh yeah, Western. Oh, yeah. yeah. John Ford directed it. John Wayne, and because I'm trying to, I like doing westerns for kind of research purposes. Mm-hmm. But I've always liked the idea of westerns, and this is basically the first western I'd ever actually sat through and watched. <laughs> and I kind of remain unconvinced at the moment. <laughs> like it looked amazing, wonderful cin- cinematography. And fantastic direction, you know, because John Ford is, you know, a legend. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of dated and racist and sexist. There's a fairly recent uh, Western show on Netflix. Uh, I can't remember Godless. What it's Godless, which I thought was fantastic. And that's kind of, I guess, it's a, I guess it looks amazing, but it's very kind of well shot it's, it's, yeah. it's very modernized i suppose um in ways i think as you see the westerns yeah. and back in this video yeah i think i kind of i i've heard of that one yeah um, it's, it's excellent it's it's definitely worth a watch if you're yeah. for, for research need, purposes i need to do modern westerns i think because going right back to the 50s is, might have been my mistake yeah i i, I enjoy <laughs> modern westerns but i have some of the old stuff you kind of watch maybe even watching the good the bad the ugly a few years ago and yeah. obviously it's a massive important piece of film etc but watching you're like it's it's a little bit boring and you you kind of feel bad saying that because it's so famous but But yeah a lot of them don't last i think western and modern westerns like three ted to you ma'am forgiven things like that are Mm -hmm. um you know what they're trying to do with the western is to tell 
you know, it is the 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 prism through which you're seeing the western is a different prism from when they just made westerns all the time. In, that's and that's probably right. Era. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And the other thing I was aware of is also that watching the searches, which is supposedly one of the greatest films ever made, is that you know it's from 1954 and 56. That same year, there was probably so many just bog standard westerns yeah mm-hmm. nobody they, were, they were being pumped out like exactly the number of westerns yeah. per year is nuts back then wasn't it so the, so the very fact that that one is still singled out as an example tells you something about the importance of the film and yeah. and how good it is in relation to the stuff that everybody's forgotten yeah 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 uh, and what was the last book you read <laughs> a good time for this question. I read a book called Can You Speak Venusian by Patrick Moore. Now, Patrick Moore, of course, is the, the astronomer. He used uh-huh. to do yeah. um, Sky at Night. So, you know, scientist, astronomer. He wrote this book in about 1972, and it's kind of non, it's non-fiction, but like he's going around all the kind of slightly strange societies like the Venusian Intergalactic Parliament and the Atlantean Society and the Flat Earthers right. and all this, these kind of groups that existed and probably still so exist. Like an early Louis Theroux. Yeah. Well, the thing, and look, he's, he's like talking to them and about their theories and their stories, but he's not, it's not a, you know, he's not casting any judgments mm-hmm. or arguing or saying they're wrong. He's like, he calls them independent thinkers with a capital I and a capital T and is kind of presenting their, their, their beliefs. And like it was fa- absolutely fascinating, like often hilarious. Um, and obviously, it's a long out of print book, but you can. I picked up a second hand copy. It's worth cool. checking out. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, and what was the last TV show that you watched or are watching? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure actually. Uh, yeah, we just watched. The last thing we actually like sat down and watched deliberately was probably Devs. Oh yeah, oh uh-huh. yeah. Um, that's a, a I've not seen the end of it, so don't spoil. Oh, don't spoil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of like um, good contemporary science fiction, mm-hmm. which you don't see that often. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, science, yeah. I think sci-fi nowadays does seem to be either kind of Star Wars, Star Trek, far far future stuff. Um, or, or I suppose, or nothing. I mean, I think things like like Arrival or Devs that kind of yeah. really near future, but kind of thoughtful sci-fi. This seems to be quite rare, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's difficult to do um, because you've you've kind of, I think, for a mainstream audience, because you've got this kind of contemporary normal setting, mm-hmm. but you know, you've got this element which is pure science fiction, like the yeah. computer system, and Devs is completely science fictional. But it's it's presented in a way that is quite a lot. It's a logical yeah, leap from yeah. quantum computing, so it's difficult to kind of do that well because that's where the concept has to be right. Um, otherwise, it it can get cheesy pretty quickly, I imagine. Yeah, and also it can it can very quickly get out of date if it you know if it's set yeah, too yeah, close yeah. to the future and it doesn't happen that way, then suddenly <laughs> yeah. it seems very yeah. odd. Uh, and the the very end of the show, we always end with a quick fire, either or. So 
we always say there's no right or wrong answers, but I'm afraid some questions are actually <laughs> right or wrong answers. But we'll tell you that when we get to them. So, uh, we'll start uh, with the Cumberbatch or Lee Miller, Sherlock. Oh, Lee Miller, come on. <laughs> I wrote two elementary novels. <laughs> well, for the same reason, normally we say Star Wars or Star Trek, but I'm not, I'm going to change it since you'll say Star Wars for the same reason. Um, I'll say uh, The Expanse or Star Trek. Star Trek. Okay. That was, that was actually the correct answer. So <laughs> when you passed that test. Uh, TV or cinema? TV. And the last one, and this is the one that Tarrant gets very angry about, uh, real book or e-book? Real book. Oh, we, were, we were doing so well, Adam. We were so close. And then we just blown it right at the end. Of the well, it's like I can't. I Look, I've tried. I've got a Kindle. <laughs> like an actual Kindle, and I've tried on my iPad, and I cannot do it. It's yeah. just I don't I don't take it in. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I know people that read nothing but e-books, so yeah. it it's, doesn't matter. If you, if you can read it, read it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's definitely more convenient for holidays. That's that's the, the big bonus yeah, of yeah. e-books, I would say. Ten, ten books like, in the backpack. No well, exactly. Like I've moved house uh, in the UK probably about five times, and, like, when you have to move that many books it's just it's a drag man yeah so i wish i really wish i could go ebook but i can't (laughs) tried tried (laughs) interesting he says he's been doing a lot of uh, western research for a a novel. I wonder what that could be, Marco. Yeah, indeed. Uh, he has announced since we recorded that podcast that he's doing a novel for The Mandalorian, the Star Wars uh, series that's been a big hit on Disney Plus, and that has been compared to sort of old Western style films. It has that sort of narrative. So I suspect that's why he's been doing a lot of Western research. Very, very exciting. I mean, for anyone that's not seen The Mandalorian, I would 100% recommend doing so. It's probably the best Star Wars I've watched for a, a good few years, probably since... Probably ever, ever, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it, it, it has it, it feels a lot more like the original stuff that I remember watching as a kid. It has that but it, kind of grittiness. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not as just bombastic. It's a bit more grounded and real. I don't know. I, 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 I watched the Star Wars films recently with my kids um, during lockdown. And I have to say, it's... I, I don't know. I, I, Star Wars is something that has always Mark, been... You to choose your next words very carefully. <laughs> Star Wars has always been something that's been very uh, important. You know, I've always grew up on it and loved it and stuff. But when you watch the films back again, they, they are a bit dated. And yeah, there are great moments in them as well, but there's a lot of drag in them as well. And the new films just frankly aren't that good. And The Mandalorian, I think, takes... The best bits of Star Wars, which is the world building and the universe and the ideas, and and puts it in a much more modern TV style TV show. Um, so even if you're not a massive fan of Star Wars, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, and it's pretty much standalone. You don't really need, really need to know any no. Star Wars stuff. It's just its own show. And yeah, as, mm. as we say, it's more like a western for sure. And it's yeah, it's fantastic. So definitely check that out. And yeah. definitely check out the book when it comes out. Definitely check out Adam's book. We've kind of veered off subject, but um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a really interesting chat. I thought there with Adam, and you know, just interesting to hear the differences in the process between his original novels and the franchise tie-ins. And, you know, 
he's right. Sometimes these tie-ins have a bit of a stigma attached to them, but mm-hmm. he clearly approaches them with the same love and you know desire to do a great book. Yeah, as he would with any original novel. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've said before on the podcast that I think there is a real snobbery in certain certain sectors about types of books, you know, tie-in books or sci-fi books or comics or whatever, you know, certain pieces of work not having the same amount of worth as other pieces of work. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's 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 not, I don't really agree with it at all. And it is, it's nice to, to, to chat someone who really feels that, you know, at the end of the day, a book is a book and the, the enjoyment someone gets from it should not matter whether it's a tie-in novel or it's a no. Pulitzer Prize winning novel or whatever. Absolutely not. And, uh, you know, The Mandalorian is a good example of a piece of fiction that is set in an existing world but tells a great story that doesn't need you yeah. to have loved the other stuff. So, you know, that's a that's a piece of tie-in television and tie-in novels can have as, as much worth and be as good as that, I think. Exactly. Um, so thanks very much to Adam for taking the time to come on the podcast. We really enjoyed that chat. Yeah, and we look forward to reading The Mandalorian when it comes out. I think it's later this year, he said. I think so, yeah. Um we said at the start of the podcast that we had some exciting news about a new project. We, we have trailed this on our social media before, but uh, we wanted to try something slightly different by recording some video uh, podcasts with um, previous guests, but more than one. So it's more of a relaxed discussion. And we're calling these the Page One Sessions. And our first one is with two of our favourite guests from the past, Sarah Pimbra and Tim Levin. Uh, and that will be out sometime next week. We're just finalising all the video editing and stuff on that. But uh, we had a great chat with them and we talked about everything from lockdown and the effect that's had on writing to the work that, that they're doing just now and what they've got planned for the future. Yeah, it's a really nice chat and it's something a little, a little bit different. And if you've ever wondered what your favourite authors or favourite podcasters look like, this is your chance. Yeah, just remember, it's been locked down, so I've not had a haircut. <laughs> also, I've been eating a lot more food than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, next week, we have another great guest and I think our first Hollywood film director. I'm going to call uh, him a Hollywood actually, film director. you might be right. Spielberg's not coming on till next season. <laughs> I think that's right, yeah. <laughs> but we do get a, we do get a story about Spielberg next week. We do week. get a Spielberg story. Yeah, so our, our guest next week, and we're very excited about this because we've been a fan for years of uh, Mr. Joe Cornish, um, who directed Attack the Block, directed and wrote, I should say, Attack the Block and The Kid Who Would Be King. He also uh, wrote The Adventures of Tintin and... Ant-Man, or the first drafts of Ant-Man with Edgar Wright as well. So we get into all of that um, really interesting chat and it was interesting to talk to someone who writes and then directs their own films, you know, and the difference that that has on the creative process. Yeah, and and as we say, he has some really interesting stories about, um, you know, someone trying to join in at the kind of upper levels of Hollywood, meeting large people having having films made which are on a fairly large scale mm. um, and 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 how that really compares with folk we've chatted in in, in the past mm-hmm. and it's it's a really interesting chat and it's a really nice guy a lot of fun yeah so it, it was a really good fun enjoy. chat as well yeah. so yeah so we hope we tune in for that one and we'll see you next week see you then 